listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. A reading from the book of Proverbs, chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud, To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I am Jeff, one of the lead pastors here at Faith, and it's my privilege and honor to introduce and welcome Dr. Nicholas Piotrowski, who is going to be bringing God's Word to us today. Uh, Nicholas is a Ph.D. graduate from Wheaton College with a Ph.D. in New Testament. He is a president and academic, academic dean of Indianapolis Theological Seminary, where you've served since 2015, I think. Sorry. And uh, just a little before we moved here to Indy, and uh, we've known each other almost uh, the whole time I've been here and have been thankful to get to know uh, you, Nicholas, and work with you, and excited to hear what God has laid on your heart to share with us today. Let's pray. Father, you uh, call us to no longer be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds according to your word that we may know your will, that we may know and do your good, perfect, and pleasing will. Father, we pray that for ourselves in uh, this hour, this morning, and in our lives. Help us to know and grow in your truth and wisdom for our joy and for the glory of your name. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Great. Thank you, brother. Well, good morning. It's my joy to open the word with you today. It's also been my joy over these years to get to know Jeff and Joey and Tom as well. Uh, Rejoice in the Lord with the ministry that's going on here in this church. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 8. Nearly everything I say will come right out of that passage of Scripture, and you will be helped if you have that passage in front of you. Uh, If you're a Christian, and I believe most of you here in this room are, then at some point in your life you've asked the question, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? What is his purpose? What is his design? The moment you realize that God is both personal and sovereign, you have to ask that question, right? To say that God is personal is to say that he has a relationship with us through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit God has a relationship with us. We have a relationship with him. And then to say equally that he's sovereign is to say that he is in control of all things. All the affairs of his universe are mysteriously under his control. 
And so you bring those two together. You say God is personal and God is sovereign. Then you have to ask the question, well, does he have a personal and sovereign will for my life? And the answer, of course, is yes. In Proverbs chapter 16, 9, we read chapter 16, 9, the heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. The heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. And that's not just for the rank and file like you and me. Listen to Proverbs 21, verse 1. Even the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. I love that verse because it's the king's and the governors and the presidents and the power brokers of the world who think they have everything under control, they've set their own destiny, they control the destiny of others. No, it's actually the Lord who ultimately reigns supreme and rules even through them. And so this question, this question, what is God's will then for my life, used to really consume me. I used to be obsessed with this question. What kind of career should I pursue? God has a will, a plan for my life. What is it in terms of my career? What about marriage? When will I meet my wife? Should I get married? Will I get married? All those sort of questions. How many kids will we have? All these big life questions. What is God's unique will for my life? What sort of ministry should I pursue? Do I need more education? All major life-changing uh, paths that I've had to go down seeking God's will. All the while with this constant larger question, well, what if I miss God's will for my life? What if what if I make a bad decision? What if I go down the wrong path? And while I've settled most of those questions by God's grace, I've learned that the questions actually don't go away as I get older. They just simply change. They morph. Now it's questions like, well, where should I live? What kind of job should I apply for? Who should I hire? Who should I fire? Where should I put my kids in school? Wherever I put my kids in school will set the trajectory for the rest of their life. What kind of friends should I encourage them to have? These are major questions. How can I care for my parents in their uh, aging, uh, in their older age? So there's just so many ways to miss God's will because there's so many paths through the woods where we have to make decisions. Well, God be praised. The Bible gives us an answer. The Bible tells us that if you get wisdom, if you get wisdom, you will see the right path. In other words, wisdom is the means through which the Lord directs us in our course in life. There's no glowing red sign, go to school here, take this job, marry this person. Those just don't exist. Instead, the Lord uses wisdom to change our minds, conform our thinking to his thinking, and then the paths become clear. Listen to this in Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs 4, beginning in verse 3. When I was a son <clears throat> with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Now what are those words? Here they come, verse 5. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. 
She will honor you if you will embrace her. Did you hear how wisdom was turned into a person in those verses? Personified as a woman. This is a common theme throughout the book of Proverbs. If you'd like to have some little afternoon reading, I would encourage you to read all of Proverbs 1 through 9 and see how often wisdom is personified as a beautiful woman that this young man should seek with all of his heart. It's a perfect metaphor, right? He's a son growing up in his house, and his mother and his father are giving him wisdom. Hey, here's how you should go out into the world, and what do young men seek when they go out into the world? A woman, a wife, spouse. And they're saying the most beautiful of all women is wisdom. Get her. And so here wisdom in our passage, Proverbs chapter 8, is actually preaching a sermon. In Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom comes up to the pulpit and preaches to the sons and daughters of men. Do you see that in verses 1 through 3? Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand besides the gates in the front of the town. These are the key locations in ancient cities where the affairs of the cities were settled. The crossroads, the town square, as it were, or we might compare it to the state house, the movers and shakers of the city who are making decisions on behalf of others. Wisdom is right there in the mix, saying, if you listen to me, your people will live. But if you ignore me, there will be peril. And so what we have before us today in Proverbs chapter 8 is the sermon that Lady Wisdom preaches to us. And she has a three-part sermon, a three-part sermon. Number one, the invitation of Lady Wisdom. The invitation of Lady Wisdom. Number two, <clears throat> the promise of Lady Wisdom. The promise. She has a promise for us. And then number three, a warning. A warning from Lady Wisdom. So we'll go through her sermon just like that. An invitation from Lady Wisdom, the promise from Lady Wisdom, and a warning from Lady Wisdom. The invitation we just heard read to us in verses 4 and following. You can see it there again in verse 4. To you, O men, I call. Verse 6, hear, for I will speak noble things. Verse 8, all the words of my mouth are righteous. Verse 10, take my instruction. So you can hear us how she's, allure, she's luring us, she's inviting us to come to her. And notice how she concludes this little section in verses 10 and 11. This should shock you. If you take the time to digest what is about to be said, this should startle you. Verse 10, take my instruction instead of silver. And knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that can be desired cannot compare with her. So if you had a pile of silver, gold, and jewels for the taking, and on the other hand, wisdom, knowledge, and insight, what would you take? Lady Wisdom says, no competition. Take the wisdom. Take the knowledge and the insight. They're better than gold, silver, and jewels. Again, a powerful metaphor, because everybody knows what gold, silver, and jewels will do for you. They'll bring you security. They'll bring you wealth. She says, no, wisdom is better. In fact, look how she concludes it there in verse 11. All that you may desire cannot compare with lady wisdom. Now, I don't know about you, but I can imagine quite a lot that I desire. The world is full of delicacies and trinkets and toys and technology, money, power, prestige, all kinds of things that I could possibly desire. 
Wisdom tops them all. Now imagine most of us don't think that way. I've never watched ESPN and heard people applaud people's wisdom. No, they applaud their athletic prowess. There's all kinds of things that we want in this world. Wisdom surpasses them all. And I wonder if they think that's hyperbole. I wonder if they think, oh, that's just overstatement. We have to say that because we're in the Proverbs. If you think that's hyperbole, then it just goes to show that maybe you have not met Lady Wisdom just yet. There's a new phenomenon. Maybe it's not that new, but I've only seen it recently, like in the last 10 years or so. It's people standing on the side of the road with big signs saying, turn in here, right? And the one I'm thinking of right now is the one on 82nd Street. I'm sure you've seen it. There's a guy every day. He's probably out there right now. He's got a big sign. He's dancing all around, flipping it around, pointing this way, and it says, gold, gold this way. It catches the attention of everybody who drives by. I'm surprised there aren't more accidents at that intersection. Everyone's like, oh, that sign says gold, where, 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 right? Well, you read carefully, it says money for gold, cash for gold, meaning I don't have gold to give away. No, 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 no. But if you turn in here, you can sell me your gold, and I'll give you cash. There's a transaction going on. There's a value to that gold that you can cash in on if you have some, right? Well, Lady Wisdom is on the other side of the road, saying forget about that. Forget about that. You want to turn in here. You want to turn in because what I have is free. And I give it away to all who seek me. If you seek me, you will find me. If you want my treasures, I will give them. So what do we do with this application? What, what do we do with this invitation? What do we do with this invitation? This invitation to come to gather wisdom. Well, I would recommend that you take what I call a sapiential audit of your life a sapiential audit of your life. What does sapiential mean? Sapiential simply means of or relating to wisdom. So you call it a wisdom audit if you want. A sapiential audit of your life. How can you gauge to what extent you are interested in wisdom, pursuing wisdom, and applying wisdom? Well, you take an audit. And here's how you take an audit. You ask yourself this question. You ready for the question? How much media do I consume in a normal week? How much media do I consume? This is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. How much media do I consume in a normal week? Now, by media, I mean any form of intellectual intake, any form whatsoever. So when I say media, don't think of the news. That's what most people think of, the news media, right? No, no, no. It's any way that knowledge and intellectual content comes at you. It might be a greeting card that has a little poem. Okay, that's, that's media. That's, that's a medium of intellectual conveyance from somebody else to you. Of course, it could be a TV show, radio, podcasts, blogs, books, magazines, could be a letter from a friend. There are all kinds of media, mediums, by which intellectual content comes to you. And as you think about how much do you consume in a week, ask yourself, how much is entertainment? How much is meant to stimulate and engage my mind on the level of entertainment? And that includes sports. That's what that's about. How much is news? How much is like real news and how much is sensationalized? They call it news, but it's actually another form of entertainment, isn't it? How much is social media? And then with what's left, how much actually adds to your knowledge, insight, and wisdom? What is that percentage for you? I think some of us might be a little bit embarrassed if literally lady wisdom were personified and, and incarnated on our doorstep, knocking on our door. Lady wisdom outside, 
I've got something for you. And we're embarrassed to open the door. Oh, I didn't know you were out there. I didn't know you had anything to offer. You know, my favorite team's in the playoffs. I really can't be bothered right now. How many simply neglect this invitation to come get wisdom? Fill out your life with blessing. It's better than gold. It's better than silver. It's better than jewels. Anything you can imagine you desire, wisdom tops that. And of course, the best wisdom, the most fruitful wisdom, is theological wisdom. Wisdom of the scriptures. So when was the last time you were in a really deep, rich Bible study? That's where wisdom is found. It's found in the scriptures. When was the last time you read a book on theology, church history, matters of the church, the scriptures, anything that would fill out your knowledge of God, the universe, your sinfulness, and Christ the Redeemer? That's where you'll find wisdom. I was wondering about this recently. There's a phrase in the Bible called fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. In fact, it's in this passage in Proverbs chapter 8. I wondered, do I really know what that means? So I sought out a book by Michael Reeves, Rejoice and Tremble. It's about the fear of the Lord and how some have a fear that's a terror of the Lord. Others have a fear that's a reverence and actually a joy, a thrill in the Lord. Just seeking a little bit of wisdom. Take a sapiential audit of your life and ask yourself, how much is coming into my mind that is wisdom and how much is not? What's the percentage there? Well, number two, if that's the invitation that Lady Wisdom gives to us, well, then there's also a promise. Now, the promise begins in verse 22. So let me read this to you. This is Proverbs chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. Here is the promise of Lady Wisdom. Again, she, this is wisdom personified as a woman in the city giving off her good wisdom, and this is her speech that she gives. Verse 22, she's still speaking about herself. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up. At the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped or the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the earth, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle in the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep and assigned the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, now verse 30. Here's the punchline for this section. Verse 30. All that is built up to say, then I was beside him like a master workman. I was the master workman. In other words, the Lord uses wisdom to be creative. How does the Lord bring forth the earth in all of its beauty and nature with all of its wisdom? He uses wisdom to get that done. And then verse 31 I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. Verse 31, rejoicing in the inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. In other words, wisdom is now available for you to do the same thing God had done. What did God do with wisdom? He used it to create nature. And now wisdom is available for you as well to equally be creative. I mean, just think about how wise nature is. Think about how wise nature is. The water cycle. Most of you probably remember learning about the water cycle 
when you were children. There's water in the ocean, in the lakes. Somehow it becomes snow at the top of the mountain. How does that happen, right? Water evaporates up into the sky. It travels in clouds. Temperatures and pressure change, and the clouds release the water, and down it comes either in snow or rain. Filling the mountaintops with snow in the spring, the snow melts, fills up the, spring, the, the streams, the streams water the land. And then there's all kind of wildlife that lives in those streams. Think also about a tree. There are some trees that are 380 feet tall. 380 feet tall, right? The redwoods in California. And photosynthesis happens in the leaves at the top, 380 feet off the ground. Now, how does photosynthesis work? A leaf with chlorophyll takes water and oxygen and sunlight, splits the water apart, and releases more oxygen and carbon dioxide, right? Or takes in the carbon dioxide, sorry, and releases the oxygen. All of that requires a water molecule in the leaf of the tree. How does the water molecule get into the leaf of the tree? Through the root system, right? So here you have leaves 380 feet up in the sky coming up the trunk, but to even get to the trunk, they had to travel through the root system that itself extends some 200 feet away. So you've got water molecules traveling five or 600 feet before they finally reach the leaf. And the way it works is when the water molecules split and the oxygen is released, it creates a little vacuum in the water channel, so a little more water shoots up through the capillaries or straws in the tree to get back into the leaf, pulling a little bit more into the root system on the back end, and then on it goes. That's just so wise. And in that process, the tree grows big and creates tons of habitat, places to live for all kinds of birds and squirrels and other animals, and equally produces oxygen for us to breathe. Creation is full of the wisdom of God in the way he's set things up. And what Proverbs 8 is telling us, Lady Wisdom is saying, I did that. You see, wisdom, in other words, is not just knowing stuff. It's not just a matter of your intellect. It's not just a matter of your IQ. Rather, it is skill in getting things done. So the definition that Jeff shared with you last week, this is a great definition from Jack Collins, wisdom is skill in the art of living godly lives. Skill in the art. You get it? It's not just thinking. It's not just solving riddles. So when you think of wisdom, don't think of the statue. You know the statue called the thinker, where he's just sitting there like that? He's not doing anything. He's just thinking. He's just meditating. That's not wisdom. That's knowledge. But wisdom is when you take that knowledge, you actually put it to work to produce something. It makes you a craftsman. And so here's the promise. Here's the promise that Lady Wisdom is giving to us, that she will make you an artist. She will make you an artist. Just as the way God used her to be artistic in creating the sun and the earth, the ecosystem, and the way it all interacts, and the beautiful sunrises and sunsets and all the things we think of in nature, she can make you an artist as well. You see, because God created us in, the image of God, in his image, he's made us, therefore, like him. And insofar that he's a creator, we, therefore, have creative aptitude. Especially, especially in creating culture. 
Culture is the context in which human beings are able to thrive. God created the world, placed us in it. We now reshape the world to create culture for one another. In other words, being wise brings blessing to other people. Now you may say to yourself, well, I'm not an artist. I don't make anything. I'm not creative. I'm not an engineer. I'm not an architect. Does this really apply to me? Absolutely it applies to you. Because if you bear the image of God, then you are an artist. You are a culture maker. Don't think on the highest levels like Amazon and Apple and the NFL. That's culture for everybody, right? No, no. On a micro level, in your own house and in your own job, you are a culture creator. For example, for example, if you take noodles that are hard and unedible and you take a pot and you fill it with water and you put heat under the pot and you boil the water, you put the noodles in and now the hard unedible noodles become soft and edible. You add some tomatoes, you add some lettuce and some ranch or whatever dressing you want, you add some drinks and suddenly you have a meal. And with that meal, you gather together family and friends to spend around the meal. And then you do something really profound. You use a fork. I mean, think about this. What other creature uses a fork? What other creature knows how to boil water? What other creature thinks, I'm going to take this edible stuff called lettuce, chop it up, bring it over here, add dressing to it, and make it taste better? You see, that's culture making on a small scale, but a very real scale, whereby you then create the space for an enjoyable experience with family and with friends. It is a beautiful mark of the creator God to have his image on you, a mark of his image when you are creative in that way. Maybe you don't know how to cook noodles. Maybe you've got to read the instructions on the box. That's fine. I'm not talking about making the Mona Lisa here, but I'm talking about working with your hands to refashion the world in order to create a cultural experience whereby other people are blessed in the experience. And so take a sapiential audit of your life Part two, the first question was, what kind of media am I consuming? What are the ratios here between entertainment, social media, just having fun, folly, and actually gaining wisdom? The second question is this, how much of other people's art am I consuming? How much of other people's art am I consuming? And how much am I producing for myself in order to give it away to others? I say this to my kids all the time. They say, Dad, can we watch this show? Dad, can we play this game on the iPad? And at some point, I just get exhausted, and I say, guys, you're consuming everybody else's art. Somebody else made that show, and you're consuming it. Somebody else made that game, and you're consuming it. What have you made to give to somebody else? Now, they're just kids, and so they're not going to build like a train or a new electric car or something like that to contribute to the culture. But nonetheless, they can go outside, and they can play. They can create a game. They can make up, draw a picture. They can do something creative with their hands and with their minds that brings other people into the experience. And if you're a parent here today and you have young kids, I recommend you ask them that question early and often. What are you consuming from others and what are you contributing to others? 
That way, when they grow up and they seek a career, they won't think of their career in terms of, ooh, what's out there for me to get? How much of the slice of the pie can be mine? Because the world exists for me to get what I want. It's a selfish way of living. Rather, you want them to think, what's out there to which I can contribute? What gift or skill has the Lord given me where I can use my wisdom to actually contribute to the world, provide a better legal practice, fix a car, improve the garden, give a service, make something so that I make a contribution to human thriving in the world, thereby bearing up the image of God. And if we double down on that, you'll teach them how to be less selfish and more selfless in the wisdom God has given them. Well, the final point from our sermon from Lady Wisdom is her warning. She has a warning for us. Verse 32 and following. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, watching beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. This is not a take-it-or-leave-it proposition. This is not, oh, wisdom, that's for some people, but not for me. You choose wisdom and live your life as an image-bearer in the world, blessing others through your wise culture creation, or you die. If you were to read Proverbs 1 through 9 today, as I recommended, you'll find there are other ladies in those chapters. Lady Lust in chapter 7, no, sorry, yes, Lady Lust in chapter 7, and Lady Folly in chapter 9. She's being compared to Lady Wisdom. Lady Lust and Lady Folly, both of them promise to drag you down to the grave. The man writing the proverb watches as a young man goes into the house of Lady Lust, goes into the house of Lady Folly. He says, that's the doorway to the grave. So you either pursue Lady Wisdom or Lady Lust and Lady Folly will pursue you. So take a sapiential audit of your life, part three. To what extent are you drawn to wisdom? Ask yourself, to what extent are you drawn to folly and lust, or are you drawn to wisdom? Does this kind of sermon make your heart sing? Yes, thanks for that reminder. I need to pursue wisdom. Yes, I need to get back into the scriptures. I need to do Bible study. I need to read a book. I need to dial down how much I'm taking in in terms of entertainment and dial up how much I'm actually creating and contributing to the world around me. Or is this sermon kind of burdensome? Oh, just get it over with. The football game's on. It turns out that God's will for you is that you get wisdom. And if you get wisdom, you'll figure it out. You'll figure out life. You'll figure out his will for you in every right path. Or you will find yourself that much closer to the grave and to poverty and to despair. So Lady Wisdom says, get wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise that Jesus is the quintessential wise man who lived a perfect life because he knew you and he knew your word perfectly. We praise you for his death and his resurrection and the spirit of wisdom you now give us through him. We confess equally that we have been foolish. We have pursued the vain desires of our hearts. Cure us this day and give us a new taste and a new desire that we too may find wisdom and find life. In Jesus' name, amen.